Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to Spirits Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda. And I'm Julia. And this is episode 91, Pele. Yeah, this is, um, I'm excited to kind of wrap up summer with a, a slightly more tropical themed myth. And I think it's, uh, it's appropriate since it has been just so, so hot the past couple of days. It's true, but it really does put into perspective that we're not living in a literal volcano. So uh, it was good to remember that things could be more intense than they have currently been in New York City. That does help quite a bit. Uh, Similarly, intense, but in a very good way. Our new patrons, Elisa, Gabrielle, and Lorraine, as well as our supporting producer-level patrons, Philip, Julie, Christina, Josh, Eeyore, Amara, Ella, Ashley Marie, Neil, Jessica, Maria, Ryan, Phil Fresh, and Deborah. Yes, you all have the spirit of the volcano within you. And I am just so happy to pour a drink metaphorically and also at some point literally at a future live show for our legend level patrons. These folks get stuff in the mail from us every single month, which now includes a quarterly box from Shaker and Spoon. So there's custom cocktail stuff. There's syrups. There's citrus things to make your cocktails with and recipes. It's so great. And we are really excited to send next month's box to Cassie, Sandra, Audra, Mercedes, Jack, Marie, and Leanne. Yeah, and actually, um, the drink that we drank for this episode was inspired by one of the recipes that Shaker and Spoon sent me like two months ago. I love it when a good sponsor comes together, and you guys will hear a little bit more about those drinks in the actual episode. Um, But we are going to start this cool thing, I think, or restart an old thing, where we recommend something we love every week. We bring you great sponsors, we bring you great books, but we also do and listen to and read a lot of other fun stuff. So... Jules, tell us about this week's recommendation. Um, this week, we are recommending the podcast, What the Folklore. It is a comedy podcast exploring strange fairy tales and folklore from around the world. So the the kind of stuff that Disney wouldn't teach you. And, you know, love it. We do. We do love a good folklore podcast. Yeah, they describe themselves as Mystery Science Theater 3000, but for weird, obscure fairy tales. So I think you guys would like it. That's What the Folklore. And it's in any place that you get your podcasts. This week's episode is brought to you by maybe one of the best sponsors we've ever had on this show. Juliet, tell us about Stitch Fix. Stitch Fix. Uh, well, we'll tell you a little bit more about Stitch Fix in the middle of the episode. But if you go to stitchfix.com spirits, you can get 25% off when you keep your whole box of clothes, shoes, and accessories for all genders. Also kids. Did you know that they had a kids option? I didn't know that, but I was like, yo, that's far in my future, but I super appreciate that you offer it. But like, also, I know a lot of folks have kids who listen to the show. So that's like a really cool option to talk about down the line. Awesome. Uh, And we would love to give a special shout out to everyone who filled in our multitude listeners survey. We've gotten over a thousand responses and that is very exciting for me as a data nerd. Um, If you haven't, there is still time. You can go to spiritspodcast.com slash survey and let us know what you think about multitude, your feedback, your sponsor ideas, your episode ideas. If you think that we have just enough episodes or too many or too few, whatever, there's a spot for you to tell us all about it at spiritspodcast.com slash survey.
And without further ado, enjoy episode 91, Pele. Amanda, I, I've made you a cocktail, as you can see in front of you. It's so festive. It has an umbrella. It does have an umbrella. It's because I love you. Just like I need at the beach because I'm very pale. Mm-hmm, that is true. Also a hat. Also a lot of sunscreen. Yeah, yeah. So I've made you this this time around a Riki Tiki, which is probably one of my favorite tiki drinks of all time. Just there's mango and coconut and pineapple juice, and it's delicious. Yeah, it tastes so good that I think I'm going to have a hangover. That's how I know it's a very good drink. Yep, that's that's true. So I've, I've made you this, but there's a story behind it first. Ooh. A couple of months ago, a mutual friend of ours went on sort of a weird last minute trip to Hawaii. Uh, and one of the first things she told me when she came back was, dude, you have to do an episode on Pele. So when I asked why, she started talking about how the goddess still had a big influence on the island and how there was a lot of representation of her all over the place. And like, I'm not one to tell my friends no. So I put it on my list of potential topics for research. And to be clear, we're not talking about the Brazilian soccer player, right? No, we're not talking about the Brazilian soccer player, but thank you for checking. Cool. Fast forward a couple months and Hawaii is all over the news because uh, lava flow is coming out of Kilauea, the volcano, uh, which is on the main island of Hawaii. Don't get me wrong. This is absolutely a tragedy. There was a lot of folks that were either hurt or had their lives destroyed because of the volcano. But as I was looking into this, I, I stumbled on a New York Times article titled, Madame Pele, Hawaii's goddess of volcanoes, awes those living in lava's path. Expressing reverence for their deity, many living in Kilauea's shadow welcome its eruption, even when it destroys their home. Whoa. The article outlines a lot of reverence that our friend had mentioned after her visit. Uh, and this was part of the reason that I really want to dig into this story, since you know how much I love living traditions, right? Heck Yeah. So actually, uh, there's a great line in the beginning of the article that I mentioned that I think will have some great context for us to get started. So the quote is, Hawaiians have endured the violent overthrow of their kingdom, annexation by the United States, and policies aimed at obliterating the Hawaiian language. But in a striking display of resilience and adaptability of native Hawaiian culture, the exaltation of Pele has not only persisted through the centuries, but seems to be strengthening with every bone-rattling eruption of Hawaii's volcanoes. Uh, please tell me everything you know, Stat. So first, background. Context is important. It sure is, in literature and in life. Haven't said that since my literature degree. <laughs> I know, oof. It's been a couple of years. Oof, oof. All right, so according to Hawaiian religion, Pele is the goddess of fire and volcanoes, and more importantly, is considered the creator of the Hawaiian islands. But before we get to that, we need to know how we got there, as we always do. Pele was known for her power, passion, jealousy, and capriciousness. Which Love it. Already a great start. I want to be best friends. She had several siblings, um, the most important of those being her brother Moho, her sister Hiyaka, and her humpback brother named Kamakawa. Other sources list at least five other brothers and eight sisters, uh, but these kind of play the most integral role uh, in the story of Pele. Mm -hmm. So there are four versions of the myth. One where Pele migrates on her own after traveling a long distance. Um, another where she's expelled by her older sister. A third that features a great flood. And another one known as the unnatural birth version. Oh, I'm going to tell the first two uh, prominent ones for the sake of keeping it simple, starting with the migration story. Okay. And this is before Hawaii's created. Yes. Got it. So in this story, the migration story, Pele is one of seven sons and six daughters that were born to the goddess Huamea, the goddess of fertility and childbirth. 
An interesting fact, actually, about Huamea, she gave birth to all of her children through various parts of her body, Ooh. with Pele being the only one who was born, quote, the traditional way. <laughs> Which is kind of great. So Pele in the original legend was considered very beautiful with, quote, a back straight as a cliff and breaths rounded like the moon. Mm -hmm. She, however, is restless and longs to travel. So taking her younger sister, uh, Hiyaka, and tucking her into her armpit, she seeks out her brother Moho, who is also known as Kamoho Ali'i. Moho gives her a canoe that's owned by their brother Whirlwind with tide and current as her paddlers and promises that if she goes exploring, he will follow with other members of their family. I love stories where uh, characters are named after things that are now commonplace, you know, where mm. like wisdom is in a tale. And there's lots of like Aesop's fables have that kind of thing where like this person is sloth and this person is whatever. And the idea that, you know, tide can be one of her um, her rowers is wonderful. Yeah, and I mean, they obviously have Hawaiian translations for those names, but I'm trying not to embarrass myself as much as possible with the translations and with the pronunciation. I'm doing my best. I looked up a lot of these. I'm hopefully not butchering them all. And if any Hawaiian listeners want to record a video of themselves talking about or just even saying the names uh, of these gods and figures, you are absolutely welcome to do so. Tweet it to us or put it in our Facebook group and we will share it uh, to the heavens and back. Yes, please. Pele goes, she passes several islands that are inhabited by the gods. Uh, one is Niahau, which is the island of the chieftess Firethrower or Ka'o'ahai, uh, where she's handsomely entertained by the, the chieftess, which... Ooh, wink. Wink, wink. Wink, wink. Wink emoji. I literally winked at Amanda. You did. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. uh, Next, she heads to Kuai and appears in the midst of a hula festival in the form of a beautiful woman. She falls in love with the young chief there and determines to take him as a husband. But she has to continue on, passing southeast from island to island, on which she attempts to dig a home in which she can receive her lover. I love that a lot. And it's also a very good metaphor for like, Get yourself in order or like make peace with yourself, make peace with who Mm -hmm. you are and and what your situation is. And like that is a really good way to get prepared to find love if that's something that you desire. Mm -hmm. Uh, So finally, she comes to what is now the island of Hawaii. And there she is successful in digging deep enough for her home without striking water, which allows her to rest there without disturbing her fiery nature. Ooh. It also just now occurs to me uh, when you said hula festival that the hula hoop is probably named after hula dancing because like hip. Yeah, dude. You didn't know. What? Yeah, I just didn't. didn't, Just didn't occur to me. There you go. You learn something new every day. (laughs) So elaboration on this migration story becomes very localized. So they outline the exact details of where Pele pursued her digging activities. There's a really famous dance song that records the successive steps of Pele's advance from island to island. And here's a quote from it. So the blaze trembles, bursts out above below. The spade rattles in the cleft below. It is I, Pele, digging at the pit in Yahao. Whoa. Uh, it's really, I just, I love it a lot. That and is... we're going to get into more of that story later. But first, we got to transition over to the expulsion story. Ooh. So the expulsion story, uh, it is definitely less feel good than the first. So again, Pele is the daughter of Huemia. Uh, but in this, she's much closer to the fire god Lonomakoa. Because they're both deities of fire, such closeness, or in some stories, the fact that they sleep together, despite Lonomakoa being married to Pele's older sister, the sea goddess named Namaka Kahai, 
uh, this causes a massive fire in the island that they live on. Oh, wow. And the older sister drives her away from their home. Just like their emotions are so linked to the environment that like it exploded on the outside as they exploded on the inside. Right. So they're both fire gods. They're both like beings with fiery spirits. So because they had such closeness or because they had such passionate sex, depending on which version you're looking at, just everything goes on fire. Uh, I mean, word. And like, doesn't it feel that way sometimes? Love is fucking crazy. Attraction is fucking crazy. And it feels like, how is the outside going on as normal when like, this is happening to me right now? Yeah, hell yeah. I just like the idea of like, a new romance is super passionate and super fiery. And you know, (laughs) everyone's got that same experience. Everyone knows what's up. I know. I I guess language of attraction and and romance is always coded in like fire related terms, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's so weird, right? The fact that that's a thing that just spans all of humanity. Yeah, it does. Very few cultures where that isn't the case. Yeah. Okay, so Pele takes passage on a canoe with several of her brothers and sisters and arrives at the Hawaiian Islands by way of the Northwestern Shoals. But the group is relentlessly pursued by her older sister, and the pursuit only ends in the murder of Pele. Her body is torn apart, and the fragments are heaped up, and her spirit takes flight to the island of Hawaii and finds permanent home there. Ooh. That's like quite a evocative image is the idea of someone fleeing, you know, mm-hmm. and then finding real solace somewhere that people still call home. Absolutely. And it also it comes down to that kind of localization, too. So the part where I didn't write it down, but the part where Pele's body and her like is torn up and then the fragments are heaped upon is a mountain somewhere that can specifically be referenced to for that story. Oh, yeah. Which I, I love origin stories for physical natural things yeah that makes me so happy because genuinely like i i don't know i think that as as a culture who is like very much science focused the idea that like things existed and we have stories for them other than like oh you know millions of years ago a glacier went through here and now it's this thing which is also remarkable erupted which is also remarkable but just not as tangible like it's hard you know you go to a museum and look at a fossil and be like okay well i know it's amazing but also i i have to like imagine really hard that this like a fish swimming around one you know once yeah um so you're absolutely right like being able to tie an actual legend to like that right there or like this right here or this ground under my feet you know it, it just at least for me makes me feel so much more rooted to my hometown or the place that i'm visiting or you know my my heritage stuff like that yeah i i really like that and i really appreciate stories where i don't know like I like the connectedness of people with their land and like understanding like this place that exists was here before all of us. And there's a reason for that. And the fact that we have to come up with these stories is such a beautiful human relationship to the earth. And I really enjoy that. Yeah. And I, and maybe, you know, especially because you and I grew up in a context of like a colonialist country that, Mm -hmm. you know, swept in and like replaced existing narratives with its own and you know there's lots that's great about like the american myth but there's a lot that's really fucked up um Mm -hmm. and especially at least for me growing up in the suburbs my you know it it felt so new and like our hometown like was a marsh until like 100 years before you know we grew up so there wasn't a ton of like you know history and old buildings and cobblestone streets and all the stuff that when i got to you know 
Europe or or other places and like looked around and like walked on streets that were older than the US like that was just so magical to me um so this these kind of like origin stories yeah you're absolutely right like whether it's you know the uh, the island getting up at the end of Moana you know or some of the mm-hmm. stories that we cover it just uh really hits home for me yeah and uh, man I just want to touch on that for a second because I saw a really interesting thread on Twitter today but just the idea that like so much of what we consider American myth and American history just exists solely because we eliminated the indigenous stories and the indigenous, like, I don't want to say mythology because it's not like when we talk about like culture, how, how England was founded or how Ireland was founded, those stories are like distinctly prominent and we like trace those back and it's like legitimately the stories that these people believe despite the fact that like historians and archaeologists will tell us that's not exactly what happened so i don't want to like i it's so frustrating to me to know that those narratives were destroyed or like at least eliminated for the western narrative they're not destroyed because people still displaced and decentered Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that's extremely frustrating to me. And I, I tried my best to talk about indigenous stories and indigenous like, like founding myths and like how a people are created and born. I, I try not to like, I don't know, like, because we look at the stories the same way we look at like Christian mythology. You right. know what I mean? And it's I not call Christian dead. mythology mythology. Exactly. It's still going. Yeah. And unlike mythology doesn't mean fake, it means stories that people tell about themselves, uh, right. which are often grounded in things that actually happen and maybe sometimes not. But it, it almost doesn't matter because it's, you know, living traditions that are important to people now or were important to them then and are therefore important to us now. Um, right. So uh, absolutely. And like, I, I hear what you're saying. And I mean, there's a reason why conquering a people is not just about like getting control of land it's about you know gaslighting and uh systematically undoing a culture whether that's yeah. as you indicated you know laws against the use of an indigenous language or you know separating kids from families or you know taking over schooling and and making religions illegal but there's all kinds of ways that like those are like state tools to disenfranchise disempowered you know and, and really decimate a people. So like, yeah, it's, it's messed up. But I think it also speaks to the importance of mythology, and the importance of narrative and being able to tell your own story in your own terms, in your own way, in your own words. So. Right. And I, I agree with you. I want to just stress that again, that when we talk about mythology, we're not saying, oh, this is fictional, this didn't happen. But rather, these are the stories of the history of these people. Yeah. And mythology is a little bit more catchy than, uh, auto-narrative or whatever else we might call it (laughs) yeah yeah okay uh so oh wait oh wait go ahead mythology is like a society's memoir yeah i think that's that's pretty accurate boom boom boom. i like that that's why i interrupted you because i thought it was good and now it's a t-shirt and bye okay uh we're going to grab a refill on our wiki tiki's real quick and then we will continue on with the story all right we are different heights we are I don't know if listeners know this, but there's about there's about ten inches of height between Julia and me. That's about Is that right. Overstating it? No, I think that's Maybe about eight? right. Yeah, about ten, uh, and it's very funny, and people love to remark on this. We identified quite a lot with Helena and Hermia from *A Midsummer Night's Dream* that is true. when we were auditioning for our drama club. Um, 
And it means also that we don't shop often together. And whenever we do and we both find something to buy, we're just like, oh, my God. Amazing. Amazing day. That is 100% true. Uh, Which is why having someone send us clothing in the mail designed specifically for us is amazing. It is so amazing. Which is why we are so excited to be sponsored this week by Stitch Fix, which is an online personal styling service that defines and delivers clothes, shoes, and accessories that fit your body, budget, and lifestyle. And it's for all genders. Exactly. You can choose masculine clothes. You can choose feminine clothes. They have a kids option even. And you basically go on there. You fill out a fun survey. I called it like Tinder for people with partners who are not currently dating. Yes. So you just like click thumbs up or thumbs down on the different outfits and shoes and accessories. Oh, it's and so- I- Found nice. it very fun. It's addictive. It really is addictive. And you give them your sizes. You tell them like, oh, yeah, you know, my pants are normally too loose in the butt, but too tight in this other place. Like you can give them notes about your style. You show them your Instagram, which is like a highlight reel of all your favorite outfits mm-hmm. and also tell them how much money you want to spend. So it's not like they only send you expensive clothes that you couldn't actually buy. You tell them how much money you want to spend and how often you want to get a box or just get one box at a time. And then you get beautiful stuff right to your house. Yes. Um, I just got my box yesterday. Day. I was very, very excited. <laughs> Tell me all about it. Amanda, I put on this pair of jeans that Stitch Fix sent me. I, I, I've never been more in love with a pair of jeans in my entire life. They're so oh my comfy. God. They fit jeans me on so a first well. Try. Oh my. Amazing. Insane, right? Like it is so hard to find a pair of jeans that like fits perfectly, is your style and like is like comfortable. And oh my God, these are just amazing. And I got to uh, also pair that with a cool like floral yellow shirt that is like shows off my arms and stuff like that it was amazing (gasps) amazing i got this purple like blowy tank top that goes really well with my uh style it's actually the same color as my tattoo also or one of the colors in my arm tattoo so i think my stylist may have seen my instagram and was like yo and to which i say thank you uh person that was amazing Mm -hmm. uh and this gorgeous yellow handbag i don't buy bags a lot i usually go with like a backpack but this one is so pretty that i just like immediately grabbed it and like wanted to lick it i just oh my god i love it so much but that is what stitch fix is all about finding you amazing stuff if you end up keeping everything they send you all five items in your box you get 25 percent off of the price of all of them so it ends up being pretty affordable but if you go to stitchfix.com slash spirits you'll get 25 percent off when you keep all the items in box that's half off that's amazing and the best part is too like the whole point of stitch fix is they send you stuff you try it on if you don't like it you don't have to pay for it you just have to like send it back to them and they give you the stuff so that you can send it back to it like i packed up the everything besides the cool shirt and the jeans that i'm 100 in love with uh and i can just ship it off from a mailbox and it's amazing yeah so shipping is free both ways and if you end up not keeping anything from the box then the fee is twenty dollars but if you keep even one thing that 20 bucks is deducted from the price of the item so again like even if you end up keeping one thing from every box and you get a box like every quarter right or every month Mm um i don't know for me personally i just i super love it i love this company but yeah i love that they have so many sizes i love the stuff that i got and they have been super fun to work with so y'all should go to stitchfix.com slash spirits link is also going to be in in the description and get 25% off when you keep all five items in your box so thank you again to Stitch Fix for sponsoring the show and now let's get back to the episode so Amanda Riki Tiki tastes good we're good Julia so good I'm so worried (laughs) I'm just gonna keep feeding you Riki Tiki's and the story is going to get better and better drink responsibly Uh, 
<laughs> Another key story to the Pele myth is actually the Hi'iakab story. And this is a uh, continuation of our migration story that we heard before, starting off with Pele winning the love of the young chief Lohau. So she stays with him for three nights. And then she tells him that a messenger will come and bring him to her house that she is making him, which explains why she's digging for the right spot for yes. the house and thus finds, uh, finds the island of Hawaii. Uh, so when Pele returns, her sister, Hiyaka, is the only one who is brave enough to act as Pele's messenger. Mm-hmm. So Hiyaka demands and is given the powers of, the, uh, of a god in order to pass through the ordeal in safety, which is important, but also like... How cool is it that I could be like, give me the powers of a god, and then she just gets them. Yeah, it's like when my my mom or dad would ask me to go like buy milk or pick someone up at the train station or whatever, yeah. and I'd be like, yeah, of course I will. Of course I will, because I just want to drive mm-hmm. the car. Yep, I want that power. Give me that power. <laughs> so uh, Pele tells her sister not to fall in love with her husband-to-be or even embrace him, and that she must return within 40 days. And then she sends Hiaka off. You know, Hiyaka- anytime there's like really specific guidance in a story or a movie, I'm just like... Bet someone's going to break one of those rules, huh? So Hiiaka leaves Pele in her sacred grove where she's protected by Hiiaka's friend, Hopoe, which means literally one encircled as with uh, a lay or with loving arms, which is Aww. the cutest fucking name I've ever heard in mythology ever. I love that. It makes me so happy. I've read before <laughs> that uh, Amanda means worthy of love, which is really funny for someone with a uh, major depressive disorder, but also I think it's adorable and that name reminds me of it. Yes, good. Okay, so on her journey, by the way, Julia means downy, like soft, (laughs) which is ridiculous, and also not correct whatsoever. I mean, your hair is soft. (laughs) Not the rest of me, though, because I'm all muscle, bitch. (laughs) You are. You are. (laughs) All right, uh, so on her journey, Hiyaka meets a bunch of badass ladies. So she's accompanied first by her old nurse, uh, Pua Opalai, or Skirt of the Pale Fern, which is really mm. cute, like that. Then Wahine Omayo, or Light-Skinned Woman or Thrush Woman, depending on which translation you're looking mm. at, uh, who was a half-goddess, makes the rest of the journey with her. At one point, they are accompanied by another girl named Papulehu. Uh, but the girl does not have the, quote, spiritual qualifications to survive oh, the dangers oh, that Hiyaka oh. encounters. I know, that's such a, like, tough bird. Damn. Yeah, spiritual qualifications. Fuck. I love it. So the first dangers that they encounter are the evil Mo'o, which means lizard god, but was in fact shape-shifting supernatural lizard demons. Okay, man, I'm just flashing back to our reptilians episode and being like, they don't even know that their wild theories are based in tradition. Yeah. Uh, so the first one that they encounter is a Mo'o woman named Panaiwa, uh, who impedes their way first in the form of fog and then sharp rain and then as a candle nut tree, which entangles the group in a growth of vines. The next that they run into is Kiha and Pu'aloa, who are defeated because they're caught in the flow of lava. They then come across a shark at the mouth of the Waipio Valley, which seizes swimmers crossing the bay, and then they slayed him. Okay, that's very extreme. Uh, The final group of Mo'o that they meet are Pili and Noho, who make travelers pay a toll at a bridge to cross the Waialuku River, but the bridge is in fact the tongue of one of the giant Mo'o, which then swallows up the travelers. I 
want it as a Pokemon in my Poke bag. It's basically a giant Lickitung. I love it a lot. I think it's adorable. And I have gotten to level 25 on Pokemon in the last week and a half. I'm really proud of you. Thanks, babe. Um, so they defeat all of these Mo'o. Um, and at last they travel to Kuai, where she finds the young chief, unfortunately, has died from longing for Pele. Oh, no. She's like, oh, man, I love this woman so much. I'm going to die. She's not here. It happens. I get it. I, I, I understand that. Because Hiyaka is a badass, she is able to revive him through chanting and prayer. But she was not able to return to Pele within the 40 days because she had to take the time to revive him and also I mean, all these monsters and shit. That's a pretty good excuse. Pele, fearing that Hiyaka had betrayed her and was keeping the handsome chief for herself, becomes enraged and not only destroys Hiyaka's sacred forest, but also kills Hopoe by turning her into stone. That is a big reaction. Yeah, it is. It's kind of a big one. She's kind of overreacting. But it wouldn't be an interesting story if she didn't overreact a little bit. I know. And, you know, they're sisters, right? Yeah. And, you know, sisters often means drama in stories, even though uh, my sister is adorable and out of my league in terms of coolness uh, and whatnot. <laughs> she is a pretty cool teen. She is the coolest teen. She's, mm. Even though she's 20, she's still a cool teen. I, she's still a cool teen. Yeah. All right, so when Hiyaka returns, she sees her friend is dead. She sees her sacred forest is ravaged. So she takes revenge on her sister, Pele, and embraces Lohiao. Uh, respect? Unexpected, yeah. So in, respect. In retaliation, Pele sends waves of lava at the couple. Oh, no. Hiyaka was unharmed because she's got all those godly powers right now. But Luau is killed by the lava, as you would expect, because he's a mortal man. Again, Hiyaka revives him, thus bringing him back to life twice. Because she is a badass. She's two for two, man. Yeah, she's killing it. So Pele regrets her actions towards Hiyaka's forest and her friends, decides to let Lua choose who he wants to be with. Mm. Uh -oh. Some versions of the legend say that Lua picks Hiyaka over Pele and returns with her to Kuai. Others say that he chooses to remain with the both of them. <gasps> Polyamory and mythology. Burr, burr, burr. Yeah, polyam in the Polynesian place. Yeah. Anyway, poly poly. Woo. So still others say that he retreats alone back to Kauai, but it is most widely accepted that after their long and dangerous journey from Kauai, Luai has come to love and greatly admire Hiyaka for her bravery, loyalty, kindness, and beauty. So he chooses her for his wife and they go back to Kauai together. They've also been through a lot of shit together, which is a very good way to get to know and to love someone. That is my favorite trope is where the person goes and they go on a long journey and then they fa reluctantly fall in love with the person who is taking them on, on this journey. Oh, yeah. That is one of my favorite stories. Oh, yeah. Like when I first read about Brienne of Tarth, I was like, OK, cool. So you're a great you're my great lesbian mom. But then mm -hmm. I was like, OK, I mean, you're also on the road with uh, Jamie Lannister and you don't want to be there. And it's totally taking all of my like enemies to lovers fanfic oh, tropes. Oh, so good. Which is a tag on Archive of Our Own in case you were wondering. Don't worry. Um, but then I was like, oh, no, wait, Brienne is definitely uh, queer. So I also just realized that this is a reverse Shrek. 
<laughs> as in someone is sent as a messenger for the person that wants to marry the other yeah. person. And then they fall in love on the journey. It's, I mean, you could say the Shrek is a reverse Pele. That would be correct. Oh, no. <laughs> I've, do- I've done bad. <laughs> I made a goof. That's okay. You're going reverse chronological. Very understandable. But I, I like that, uh, that, you know, old to new-ish. Those are the main stories of Pele. There's a couple of shorter ones. Pele was said to be the rival of the Hawaiian goddess of snow, Paleahu. In one story, Paleahu uh, had to come down from Mo- uh, Moana Kea with her friends to attend the sled races down the mountain Hamakua. So Pele comes disguised as a beautiful stranger mm. and is greeted by the snow goddess. But Pele, being Pele, becomes jealous of her rival and in her rage opens up the subterranean caverns of Moana Kea and throws fire at Paleahu. Uh, which the, which sends the snow goddess fleeing in terror. I Understandably. Mean, it's a good weapon to use that would be super effective in Pokemon. So Paleahu grabs her now burning snow mantle, which I'm not entirely sure what that is, but a mantle's a didn't dress, get much right? of Is it a dress? I thought mantle. it was like like the top part of a dress when you when the dresses it's... were like many layers. It's a sleeveless cloak or shawl. I have a beam, stone, or arch serving to support the masonry above a fireplace. That also. All right, cool. It's one of those things. Imagine both. No, it's definitely the coat. (laughs) So she throws it down the mountain, and as a result, earthquakes shake the entire island as snow unfolds and hits the fire fountains, chilling and hardening the lava that Pele has been spreading. What a great image. Also, that is what happens, is that, uh, you know, heat and lava escapes into air when it hits air, and it freezes. As such, it is said that Paleahu rules the northern part of the island, while Pele rules the southern portion. I like it. They're, they're heat and snow miser. Aww. Like I alluded to earlier on in the episode, belief in Pele has persisted despite colonial attempts to eradicate Hawaiian religion. The religion was, quote, officially abolished in 1819, which is fucked up, but also something that we discussed when we were talking about Filipino indigenous religions uh, persisting even after Spanish colonialism. Yeah, it happens. People find a way. Yeah, people find a way, and it's amazing. And of course, the dominant narrative of that society would be like, oh, yeah, no, the state made a choice, and everyone, you know, listened to the state, when in fact, most of life happens underground. Yep, incorrect. Uh, However, there is a great story about how an English missionary named William Ellis in 1823 was on the island trying to find a location for his mission statements. Already terrible. Not a great place to start. Uh Uh-oh. So he takes this long journey up Kilauea with very little food, and as such, eagerly eats some berries that he finds growing on the side of the volcano. The berries are called ohelo, which is considered sacred to Pele, and traditionally prayers and offerings had to be made before eating them in order to appease the goddess, because you're taking her sacred berries. That's fucked up. Well, Julia, why would a colonizer learn anything about the place they're trying to take over? I I know, right? Exactly. (laughs) So shortly after, there is a seismic event that opens up a volcanic crater and exposes an active lava lake, which local Hawaiians feared was a sign that Pele was not pleased with the violation by the missionary. Uh, That's a very reasonable conclusion. Yeah, it absolutely is. 100%. Also, seismic event is a pretty good band name. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Fuck. Um, here's a little uh, like science corner, because I like science corners. Ooh. So several phenomena in volcanism are named after Pele. 
Pele's hair are volcanic glass fibers that are formed through the stretching of molten basaltic glass from lava. Wind carries the light fibers into the air and they're blown away from the volcanic vent. Uh, Google imaging right now. That Do sounds it. They're fucking beautiful. Amazing. Like bird's nests of glass made out of volcanic like lava. That's amazing. It legitimately looks like hair. It's really, really cool. Well, oh my God. This is really trippy. It looks like yeah. a bird nest. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, the next one are called Pele's Tears, which are pieces of solidified lava drops formed when airborne particles of molten material fuse into tear-like drops of volcanic glass. Man, the earth is so metal. Uh, limo opele, or pele seaweed, are these thin sheets and shattered flakes of brownish-green volcanic glass splatter that resemble seaweed in appearance and are formed when water is forced into and trapped inside lava. So cool. Also incredible that human beings ever figured out how to make glass. Like, that is so yeah. dangerous and so finicky, and I'm amazed. I, the Pele seaweed is so fucking metal because it's just like water and lava meeting and then they create this beautiful like green brown yeah. glass. It's insane. Wow. I love it so much. So after all this, Pele is known as Pele Honoa Mea or Pele of the Sacred Land and Ka Wahini a Honoa, which is the earth eating woman. Ooh, so as well good. as the quote, uh, she who shapes the sacred land. All great titles. There's no higher like honor or power than that. So her home is said to be the fire pit at the summit of Kilauea, which is one of the Earth's most active volcanoes. Mm. But her domain encompasses all volcanic activity on the big island of Hawaii. It is said that her body is the lava and steam that comes out of the volcano, but she's also known to change form, appearing as a white dog, an old woman, or a beautiful young woman. You know I love a shape-shifting goddess. She's also regarded as the goddess of the hula. Though her sister Hiaka is said to be the first person to ever dance hula, Pele is a significant figure in the history of hula, and there are many hula dances and chants that are dedicated to her and her family. The hula dedicated to Pele is performed in a way to represent both her intense personality and the movement of volcanoes. Mm, I love it. So uh, kind of going into the final thoughts of the episode. If you're ready for them. I am. I would love to take a moment and talk about living memory, uh, kind of focusing on uh, how an active environment can affect day to day and that affects in turn uh, belief and religion. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess two things come to mind first off, which is that making peace with an environment that can be hostile to you and can be dangerous mm -hmm. is really like lovely and I, I don't know it's just something that I really respect like it, it would be easy to say oh volcanoes are evil oh lava is evil lol it's not pagan it's fine you know that that kind of reaction where anything that could be dangerous or take some thinking to get used to is is just kind of scapegoated or pushed to the side and this is mm -hmm. another you know another take on it which is like hey this thing is super powerful there's a good reason it's there you know there are ways to uh stay in in contact and in favor and you know when bad things happen like it's a it's a story we can we can talk about it's a way we can wrap our minds around a thing that otherwise seems like unfathomable as always happens with mythology yeah and i think that like when you think about obviously we didn't grow up in cultures that had volcanoes really and right. we've never i've never seen a volcano i don't know if you have i've seen a dormant volcano Okay. Um, but that's just, that is something that I can't comprehend, let alone comprehend living next to and having it be such a like active part of my life. Uh, but I can think about the sea. I can think about the ocean. 
because that is something that can exist and be totally fine most of the time until it's not. And you have to have that certain amount of respect. Like the ocean can be a blast. The ocean can be fun as hell, but the ocean can also like murder and drown you. And so like kind of understanding like this thing is so much bigger than I am and I cannot tame it even if I tried, but I respect that. And it brings so much life to the people in my community yeah. that it's it's hard not to respect that. It's hard not to both fear and respect at the same time. And I can really appreciate like communities that live in dangerous environments because they learn how to both respect and fear a thing. Yeah, and maybe it doesn't even come off as dangerous if that's like that's that's what it is. Like we live on the ocean, our town gets flooded a lot. Like that's what it is. You know, it, it's yeah. not something that occurs to us um, to to think of as as atypical until and you know if you travel outside of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like hurricanes. Hurricanes are right. a big thing where we live. We're like, yeah, nope. Tape the windows. Get some gas. Get some water. Uh, hang out. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, creating a figure that is like supernatural that is bigger than you that is like more beyond human is something that's like really beautiful to me especially with something that is so powerful but like also again like that's the cool thing about mythology is we're giving it sort of this anthropomorphized like like nature to it so it's fiery but it's also like it gives you know like loving peleg Pele gives, she loves things. She wants to create a home in the story that we're telling. And it's like, it's absolutely beautiful that we can like see both. I, I love duality, as you know, and I know you love duality as well. But something that like gives and takes away, something that can destroy and also build is like really, really important to like just understanding human beings in general. Yeah. And something I love about the geographical mythology in particular is that it really just like invites you and almost mandates you to pay attention, you know, and, and to look closer to home. And, you know, maybe not everybody has the same instinct I did growing up, which was to really like, just look as far as I could a field, you know, and like get a sense of what was around me and, you know, wanting to travel and wanting to learn and wanting to read about lives that are different than mine, which I also love, but it was only with kind of age um, and, and maturity and learning more about my hometown that I was able to say like, huh, you know, there's actually really fascinating stuff right here. Um, and mm-hmm. mythology that is about, you know, the ground you walk on and the materials that your house is built out of and um, you know, whatever else, like the, the words that you say every single day to describe mundane things um, that is just really like an, an invitation to to look a little closer that I have really come to appreciate. Yeah. I also, I kind of want to talk about uh, the fact that one of her titles is Earth Eating Woman. Ooh. And we talked about this a lot with the uh, with the Kali episode. Yes. Um, where a, a woman who is able to consume, but is not thought negatively of, and yes. but rather is like respected for her power. Yeah. And I just, I want to touch upon that again, because I think that's like a really important thing that we don't always see in a lot of stories. Yeah. And like, she is... A, a like literal homemaker you know like she yeah. she is the one like tilling the earth and getting their house ready um and even though like there are obviously lots of ways in which domestic labor is is coded as female the idea mm-hmm. of like you know a house that i put together you know brick by brick or shingle by shingle like doing it all myself um i love that image of a, a woman doing that Right, and it's a very Western thing to code that as male. Yes. Like a, a man builds a house for his wife and, like, you know, with the sweat of his brow and the, his own yeah, blood and yeah. stuff. Uh, um, but the idea that she is, like, 
yo, first off, she is a goddess. This guy is a mortal. And she's like, I like this guy so much. I'm going to go build him a house. Yeah. I'm going to go travel across a bunch of islands and find the perfect place for us to settle down. And I love that. That is so like just the like idea of passion and consuming like something just like fiery within her is instinctual for her yeah but also something has ignited it and like the fact that it's that passion that makes her want to create something is absolutely it's it's very sweet yeah when you think of the story like that even if they don't end up together it is very sweet it's not some like jane austen ish where people are just like sitting in the sitting room like doing their needlepoint and yearning you know which is that's a sick jane austen bird also very relatable don't get Uh me wrong also what was like societally permitted at the time don't get me wrong but you know there's a lot of like quiet despair in Jane Eyre in a way that uh you know again I love I relate to in lots of ways but uh this is kind of cooler which is like I like you I'm gonna build your house like it's just it's it's great and you know I I like someone that much like I I totally get it yeah no I've I've totally had those moments where like I just I love you so much. I'm going to make you something so cool. <laughs> like you're just like, you're like yeah. mad about how much you like this person. Yeah. Let me, feel let that. me assemble you an elaborate charcuterie plate. Ah, I'm going to build you that Ikea furniture. <laughs> it's so sweet. And there is something really romantic and, and domestic about like making a home uh, for someone or together with mm-hmm. someone. So it's uh it's again, one of those little moments that's like, Oh man, human beings have been human beings forever. Like stories have been relatable forever. And uh, to ascribe to the, the God, you know, a sort of, passion that may, might might be outsized but it's still a really relatable and human feeling passion you know that's something that that makes human beings divine and that makes passion divine and even impulsive passion and passion that might be a little bit ill-advised um or a little bit dangerous or lead to some consequences um the story might not be permitting it but it's still explaining it and making people who do experience that level of longing or passion or freneticism a little bit less alone Yeah. Uh, And I think that's what I want to leave our listeners with this week. I hope that our listeners can find something that they feel that strong a passion about, whether it's for a person, whether it's for a project, whether it's for just like, I want to make a really good meal this week. Whatever you have passion for, I I hope you find it. And I hope that Pele adds that little spark of fire in your soul. Yeah. Go be land eaters. Absolutely. Go be land eaters. Eat that earth. And remember to stay creepy. Stay cool. Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider, with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us at Spirits Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. We also have all of our episode transcripts, guest appearances, and merch on our website, as well as a form to send us your urban legends at spiritspodcast.com. Join our member community on Patreon, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast for all kinds of behind the scenes stuff. Just $1 gets you access to audio extras with so much more available too. Recipe cards, director's commentaries, exclusive merch, and real physical gifts. We are a founding member of Multitude, a collective of independent audio professionals. If you like spirits, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. And above all else, if you liked what you heard today, please share us with your friends. That is the very best way to help us keep on growing. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time.